Two men driving down a lonely road see something that adds a new wrinkle to the myth of Bigfoot. And then we meet a man who believes that the government is covering up the existence of UFO and he will do anything to expose the government's lies, even murder. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys have an awesome plan this weekend. Go out and do something. I've started lifting weights again, man. It feels so good just moving my body. I'm not walking as much as I used to. It's kind of like, it's kind of messing with my head. So I have to figure out ways to be active at home. And I, you just feel so much energy when you just pick stuff up and put it down. And then you pick up heavier stuff and put them down. So if you guys aren't physically active, I really recommend it. As much physical activity as you guys can do. Because everyone has different levels. But it helps your mood so much. It really, really helps my mood. Even doing the little bit of weightlifting that I do. I also want to say we're getting ready to wrap up Season 11. So next week is the last episode before my week off. My well-deserved week off. I take a week off every 50-some-odd episodes where I do nothing Dead Rabbit Radio-related. A ghost could show up at my apartment, and I would just be reading a magazine, a non-paranormal magazine, and I'd be like, Hey, bro, can you come back in a couple of days? Because I'm exhausted, and the ghost is like, sure. So, get ready for that. Next week is going to be the last week. I'm going to take a week off. We'll be back for Season 12. Now, let's give a shout-out to one of our Legacy Patreon supporters, Thomas Redacted. Thomas Redacted, thank you so much for supporting the show, continuing to support the show. Really, really helps out a lot. You're going to be our captain, our commander this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help get the word out about the show. You guys don't understand how much that helps the show grow. Word of mouth is the number one way to get new people to try out a show. So that, it would be amazing. And it saves me advertising money. And I spend no money on advertising. So if you guys get the word, and, and you guys have been. The show has been growing it's been awesome, but if you can't support the show financially, and I know a lot of people can't, that's totally fine, just spread the word about the show. Thomas Redacted, he's all dressed up like a little FBI agent. He's a cute little FBI agent, has a little little badge, he has a little trench coat on. Thomas Redacted, we are going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to go for a drive to Beaverton, Oregon. Car is driving down the road, it's nighttime. It's the spookiest Time of not day. It's spooky as time, right? There's sun. That's not spooky. And then nighttime. Super spooky. So Thomas is driving us down this road. We're in Beaverton, Oregon. It's October. Spookiest month, too. Bad combination. October night. October 1992. We're driving down Cornelius Pass, which is a road in Beaverton. There's a dude and his friend. We're going to call the main dude Russell, and his friend will be Bernie. And they're driving down the road. Everything's going normal, right? Trees on both sides of the road, spooky, spooky owls. They're being they're being followed by a car driven by an FBI agent and a bunch of podcast listeners. And that's not super alarming. But what is alarming is as the road starts to hit a turn, you got to slow down for that turn. So they're slowing their car down to make the turn safely. And that's when their headlights hit something walking across the road in front of them. It was a Sasquatch. It was a hairy creature walking around Oregon, and and there's been a ton of Bigfoot sightings in Oregon and Washington. It's kind of the home of Bigfoot. But 
This Bigfoot was only four feet tall. So you go, it was a baby Bigfoot. We've talked about those. We've even talked about Babyfoot, which are known to be in Oregon. But no. As their car is slowing down and their headlights are illuminating the road in front of them, they see this Sasquatch. He's only four feet tall. And his arms are so long, even though it's standing up straight, they're dragging across the concrete. Uh, that's probably the noise he's making because his, his knuckles hurt. They said that his face was incredibly ugly. That's actually, that's actually a quote. Incredibly ugly. More than just normally ugly. But other than this being a relatively small Bigfoot, also Bigfoot tends to not to drag his knuckles on the ground, but rather than this being some sort of hairy monstrosity walking around Oregon, you kind of put two and two together and say it's Bigfoot. There's some very, very creepy accoutrements to this cryptid. That's how you use that word? This four-foot-tall, hairy, incredibly ugly creature knuckles dragging across the ground, is wearing a pointy hat, like a dunce cap. Are you thinking a gnome? You might think that too. Gnomes don't tend to be four feet tall, but it was also wearing tattered clothing. They could see the remnants of a shirt, of pants, but they were just rags at this point. It's crossing the road. It's staring at them. And it continues to walk across the road, like they're not even there. And that's when they notice this creature is also wearing a backpack. Dragging its knuckles, it crosses the street and disappears into the forest on the other side. That's a hiker. And I'm not saying there's a hiker out there who's four feet tall with giant arms. I'm saying that is a hiker who got lost and is turning into something. We've seen cryptids that wear clothes before, but they're usually some sort of, like, demon. There's some sort of, like, illusionist-type things, a, a river nymph that will have a dress on. We've even come across Bigfoots before, Sasquatches that have had clothing on before. The one who was attacking all the Amish people, that was quite a long time ago, but he was wearing raggedy clothes. I did a story about a man who was attacked by aliens. He was with a group of people, and aliens were flying around. And he started going crazy and tearing out his clothes, and his friends had to hold him down as he was trying to run off into the woods. And at that point, I also made the observation that maybe he was turning into a Bigfoot. Well, there was also Bigfoots in the area. They had seen these large silhouettes. I wasn't just like, oh, aliens show up. If you go crazy, you're a Bigfoot. There was already Sasquatch noises and silhouettes around the farm, if I remember that story correctly. This is somebody who's transforming into something. This is a hiker who has gone missing. One of those stories where you never find the body. Just a tragedy for the family and the friends of the hiker. This is someone who's shifting into something. And actually is probably long past the point of no return. Because the clothes are so tattered, and the expression so blank on its face. This isn't someone who had just recently gone missing and was in the midst of a transformation. This was someone who, for months or years, was slowly becoming a beast. The only things that would make you think that it was still human would be the clothing and the backpack. Was this a hiker who got cursed out in the middle of the woods? Was this a mountain man who had a run-in with a Bigfoot? And while he thought he was observing this natural phenomenon, the alien craft silently floating above him 
had other plans? Or is this a case of a man finding a hat in the middle of the woods? A little cone sitting there. A lost remnant of a witch's curse. Of a gnome's mischievous magic. And this man, out of curiosity, who wouldn't put on a hat that they find? I mean, if you're worried about lice, you might not. But you figure in the middle of the woods, there's no lice in the middle of the woods, I don't think, right? You might have a couple of ticks in it. You find a dunce cap in the middle of the woods. And as a joke, you put it on. Can't wait to get back to the campsite. Show it to your family. Some neat little trinket you found out hiking. But you never make it back to the campsite. You find yourself wandering further and further away from civilization. This isn't just a hat. It melts your mind. It changes your body. The human that the rescue team is looking for no longer exists. You are now just a beast wandering the wilderness. The last pieces identifying you as human, your clothing, your backpack, are slowly rotting away. Someday, people will just think you're a beast. A naked, gorilla-like creature walking through the woods of Oregon. And when the transformation is fully complete, that hat may fall off of this creature's head. And sit there, alone, in the forest of Oregon, waiting for someone else to show up and be curious enough to put that hat on their head. I thought that was a really creepy story. Obviously, everything I said after the story was conjecture. This was from Paranormal Story Archive, December 2001. And it was cataloged. I found it on thinkaboutitdocs.com, which is a great resource. I go there all the time. Everything I said after the initial story is conjecture, but there's just so many elements. I, I, this is the type of story I actually find really unsettling. If it was just a Sasquatch walking across the road, I would have blazed right past it. Never would have told you guys it. But when we see that bridging between the human civilized world and the monstrous world like this, it really makes me think that a lot of creature sightings, especially Bigfoot sightings, they may actually be humans who have been transformed in one way or the other. Thomas, call in that carpenter copter. He's all hiding behind the tree. Everyone's hiding behind the tree. What? What? No, it's totally fine. Come on out. I got hats. Hats for everyone. Dead Rabbit Radio hats. You can buy one. You put them on. You slowly become a monster, but you're my monster. So that's all cool. Uh, but I guess I don't want a bunch of monsters running around. Thomas, I coaxed you out from behind the tree. Call in that carpenter copter. We are headed out to Long Island. <laughs> Helicopters leaving behind Oregon. We're flying out there. Thomas is afraid to put on the pilot's helmet. I was like, dude, you're not going to turn into a helicopter. Just put on the helmet. Ah, that'd be cool if he turned into a helicopter. Then I'd have two of them. He's like, what? Don't listen to me. He bring, put on your helmet. You have to. We're flying out to Long Island. Now, I also found this story. I, I just read a ton of stuff all the time. And I've really loved the way stuff is formatted on thinkaboutitdocs.com. When I was reading this story, I saw an interesting note. So the website is just all these lists of stories by dates. This story started off with a four-letter word. The four-letter word in the paranormal community. Hoax. The article says, Hoax, November 24th, 1992. South Haven National Park, Long Island, New York. A large metallic cylinder-shaped craft with glowing blue ends reportedly exploded over Long Island. Wreckage, debris, and some fragments of the humanoids were recovered at the above site. Fire teams, police, and Secret Service were involved. 
the remains of the craft and its occupants were moved to Wright-Patterson, which is an Air Force base. So, says hoax, and I'm thinking, that actually piques my interest more than anything. Yes, U.S. military or any world military shooting down UFOs, that's interesting. But you'd be surprised how many of those reports are out there. I don't really cover them much because they're just kind of a dead end. The Armenian Air Force shoots down a, a disc. The Russian Air Force shoots down a disc. And they just kind of go, they shoot down the disc, villagers. It, it sounds exciting, but the stories just kind of end. And they're all exactly the same. So when this one was labeled as a hoax, I was actually really intrigued by it. So I began looking at the story of John Ford. This story is excellent on two different ways. One, we get to look at this man, John Ford, and his escapades. Two, I've talked about this before on the show. The way that paranormal researchers and UFO researchers were treated is radically different than they're treated today. And there's an article in the Washington Post called Out There, written by Michael Colton. And it's a very, very well-written article. I got a bulk of my information from this article. But I'm going to read some passages from it to show you the difference of how people are treated today versus back when this article was written. When I was growing up, it was a totally different world for paranormal researchers. Let's go back to the 1980s. We got on our pastel suits. We're ready to walk around New York City. It's a crime-ridden hellhole at this time, so get your switchblades ready. We're going to duke it out with the sharks and the jets, and the bloods and the crypts. John Ford, he's the chairman of the Long Island UFO Network. There's 400 people involved in this organization. That's huge, especially for back then. In 1988, one of his nemeses was the Long Island Brookhaven National Laboratory. That sounds like something out of a superhero comic book. Brookhaven sounds spooky. So when you have this building known as the Long Island Brookhaven National Laboratory, it draws the attention of the UFOologists in the area. 1988 is really when John Ford jumped 10 toes into this thing. Previously, he was a bailiff, the local courthouse, and he really wanted to be a politician. He was this weird dichotomy, and you run into him every once in a while. He was conservative, and he hated Republicans. But he had to work within those halls of power to make it as a politician. But when you're a conservative and you hate the people that you're trying to get to vote for you, it doesn't really work out well. So as much as he wanted to be a politician, his dreams are always stymied. We're going to put a little pin in that for a second. He becomes this devoted UFO researcher. He really believes like he's so close to finding the truth. And because he believes that he's close to finding the truth, he also begins this delusion that the government is after him. The government is actively going after him. And that would make sense because he's beefing with actual politicians. Every time he loses an election, every time he loses a debate, he could think, The government is in on it because he's actively working against the halls of power, i.e. he's trying to be a politician as well. When your local garbage man thinks the government's after him, it's probably not true. When you're actually running for government, the chances go up that there's government forces looking to stymie you because they are being controlled by the people in power and you're trying to get them out of power. 1989, Morches Bay, Long Island. There's glowing lights in the sky one night. Ford goes out and he starts interviewing locals. And he pieces together this story that there was a UFO flying over Morch's Bay. 
And the U.S. government goes, go, go, go. And these helicopters go flying off over the night sky. Shooting missiles at it. UFO doesn't know what to do. It's just sitting there. It's advanced warp technology. Doesn't work for some reason. The missiles impact with this saucer. Blowing it to pieces. The remnants of the vehicle crash into the water. U.S. military sends in special forces to recover 17 alien corpses. Those bodies are taken to Brookhaven. He's announcing the story. He's telling people this is what happened. We actually had military versus alien combat right in Long Island, guys. Like, isn't that convenient? I happen to be here and I believe in aliens and that happened. The official story was yes. There were helicopters flying over the bay that night. And yes, there were glowing lights. But this is the official story. There were helicopters dropping flares because there was a sinking ship. And they wanted the rescue ships to know where that ship was. November 24th, 1992. South Haven National Park, Long Island. We're walking up to the park and there's a guard standing there and he's like, stop. You guys can't come in here. And we're like, what? what? We just want to see. We want to go to the National Park. We heard there's like trees and stuff. He's like, you're right. <laughs> this is the only place left that has a tree. But you can't come in here. You got to go to some other state park. Why not? And he goes, because it's closed. And we go, why is it closed? Why, why are you closed? John Ford hops out of a bush and signals us over. We walk over to him and he goes, listen, I'm going to tell you guys the truth of why this place is closed. There was a cylinder-shaped craft with glowing blue ends. He does a sound effect that he does it much better than I do. It blew up, and the pieces of it crashed into the state park. There's bodies over there. There's alien bodies over there. I actually have video footage. I have video footage showing firefighters pulling an alien body out of a wreckage of a craft, setting it on the ground, leaving it so that the feds can show up and take this alien to Brookhaven. Okay, that's an interesting story. We walk out of the bush. One of you guys is wearing a little dunce cap. I'm like, oh no! We walk out of the bush. We go up to the guard and we're like, hey, so we heard this story about this alien ship. The guard kind of rolls his eyes. He goes, you're talking to John Ford, right? We're like, yeah, but I mean... Obviously, the, the place is closed. They're like, is he making the whole story up? The, it is closed. We can't get in. That is a fact. And the guard goes, yes, it is closed. Why is it closed? The official reason, duck season. Every so often during duck season, they close off the state park so people can hunt ducks. Kind of look at each other and we're like, I didn't know you could hunt at a state park. I actually thought that was, what, what's going on? At that point, the guard, is, he's lost his patience with us. He's loading his gun. Ah! We put a dunce cap on him. We run away real quick. It's interesting because John Ford did have this video of this fire. And there is a firefighter moving something around. And he was showing it to all these UFO conventions, all these UFO researchers. And even he admitted it wasn't a really good quality video. He says, yeah, you can't really tell. You can tell there's a fire, but you can't tell where I'm at. And you can't tell that there's actually an alien body. But I'm telling you guys. This alien ship blew up. This body was laying here. Now, remember, this is the story that was labeled as a hoax. If I think about it, docs.com. I'm going to read you a passage here from that article out there by Michael Colton. Leading into this article, he was talking about how John Ford was sure that there were aliens here. And now we're going to introduce a new character to this, Preston Nichols. So here's this quote. Quote, 
Preston Nichols was sure too. Portly and absent-minded, he lives with his father in a small, shoddy house, cluttered with electronic equipment, books, videotapes, and a rock collection. Unquote. Quote, in his living room, while his fat dog snores, Nichols cues up a video and announces, quote, I didn't believe in time travel until I saw evidence that I had time traveled, unquote. We'll get to the time travel thing in a second, because that's another great twist. But do you see, I mean, this was an article written by the Washington Post. It completely sets the scene to go, cuckoo, cuckoo, look at this big old fat weirdo over here. Every part of that passage is meant to completely dismiss Preston Nichols. Portly and absent-minded. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't Pearl from Blade. He wasn't this big old fat dude sitting in his living room. He lives with his father. See, look at this loser over here. Look at this big old bum. He even has a rock collection. What a nerd. And his small, shoddy house cluttered with items. He even makes fun of the dude's dog. His fat dog snores. Listen, I'm not throwing shade at Michael Colton. This was how it was all reported back then. You were completely dismissed if you believed in aliens. Completely dismissed. You might have a little more respect if you believe... You you actually had more respect if you believed in, like, New Age healing crystals and stuff like that. That was more, like, upper-class beliefs. But people who believed in UFOs, people who believed in Bigfoot, they were all laughingstocks. And here you have this article. It's a very well-written, very well-investigated article. But you have this stuff. This article was written... In the 90s, this this article was more contemporaneous to the events of the story. So that's just how it was reported. Look at this big fat loser with his big fat dog playing around with his rock collection in his dirty house. This guy's a loser. And all of that stuff builds this picture. But really, the key part is Preston Nichols believes he has time traveled. So leaving behind the editorialness, we're getting, I just like to always shine a light on that because I think it's a fascinating aspect of the evolution of paranormal culture. So here is Preston Nichols' time travel story. This article is being written, I believe, in like 97, 98. Preston Nichols says, In 1995, there was another UFO crash. There was other videotape of a fire caused by a crash UFO. And I was shown that videotape. In that videotape, there is a handsome, young, handsome, non-portly firefighter. You can totally tell he doesn't live with his dad, and his, his totally muscular dog is sitting next to him. He sees this video footage of a firefighter who looks exactly like he did when he was younger. Preston Nichols, who is hanging out with John Ford, who's actually trying to uncover all this stuff with John Ford, that's why he's part of the story. He says that I saw this videotape of the younger me, so my theory is is that somehow the younger version of me traveled into the past. Like, I don't remember it. So, like, in the future, there's a young version of me who travels into the past of 1995 to find proof of alien crashes on Earth. That's that video footage of me. What's interesting, this is kind of the... As much as I talk about the way that paranormal researchers are talked about back then, there's also, you also got to call out craziness when you see it, right? And yeah, time travel is possible, I guess, like in theory, but this is just a weird detail to an already weird story. It just adds another layer of what on it. 
Because you have this man going around saying that all these alien ships are crashing in his area. Now we've involved time travel as well, who's actually a younger Preston Nichols is trying to figure all of this stuff out. So when you have all this crazy layered on crazy layered on crazy, it causes a lot of pressure on the people underneath it. John Ford begins to become paranoid. Let me back up. John Ford becomes even more paranoid. Because now he's not just fighting with local politicians. He's fighting with time travel and aliens and military cover-ups and guards standing outside of state parks with guns. So he starts carrying a gun. Now, I don't have any problem with people carrying around guns, using them responsibly. But I do have a problem with how he got the gun. He met an ex-felon named Joseph Mazzuccelli. Now, this guy is not the guy you want to be hanging out with, especially if you're already paranoid. But he was a tough guy, and John Ford wasn't a tough guy. So he was able to kind of kind of absorb some of that energy from Joseph. You know what I mean? Like, if you're not that tough and you hang out with a tough guy, no one's going to mess with you because now you have this pit bull in your corner. They also meet, these two guys also meet Kevin Koch. And what happens is... He begins buying guns from John Ford, and John Ford's getting them from Joseph. Now they have a little, like, gun smuggling ring going on. Kevin and Joseph aren't really interested in UFOs. Joseph's interested in a place where he can fence guns. Kevin is interested in being a snitch. He's actually a government informant. June 11th, 1996. Kevin, Joseph, and John Ford sitting around the kitchen table. And John begins to brag. You know, I'm so tired of those Republican jerks. I can't win any elections. And if I win an election, I can expose the truth. But they're in the way. They're in the way. They need to make room for a real conservative. Well, what are you going to do about it, John? <laughs> well, I actually got something in my car that'll take care of them. Kevin's ears perk up. He's also wearing wires, so the agents who are listening to the wire, their ears perk up as well. I got some radium. You guys are like, what? okay, where'd you get it? What do you want to do with that? Even Joseph, even he's not a snitch. Even he wonders what's going on. Why do you have radium? Where'd you get it? He goes, I got it. You, you don't need to know where I got it from. But I have a plan that I'm going to, with your guys' help, I have three lead suits in my garage. We're going to sprinkle it on their food. We're going to put it in their toothpaste. They'll sit in there and be brushing their teeth. Oh, what a bright smile I have today. I can even see it. I can even see it when I close my lips. My teeth are all glowing. Mmm, Sally, this is some delicious omelet. Om, om, om. You can actually see it floating down the digestive tract. I'm going to put it in their food. I'm going to put it in their toothpaste. I know the three targets I'm going to hit. It's these three Republican Party members. Because not only are they keeping me from my dreams of being a politician. They're also part of the UFO cover-up. That was all that anyone needed, right? That's all like he basically laid out. Motive, means, opportunity. That's all it took. The feds end up wrapping them up. They got Joseph for being like a felon. They got they got him for being part of the conspiracy to commit murder. I think he was also like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's make him glow. But they also got him for being like a felon in possession of guns. They got John Ford for conspiring to kill three politicians. And they got a third guy. The, the snitch got off free. They got a third guy, Edward Zabo, because he provided the radium. He worked at a laboratory. He worked in Brookhaven. He's like, oh, I hate my bosses. I never get the day off. I always got to babysit these gray aliens. Now, experts have said this plan wouldn't have worked. 
Like, the amount of radium he had, they said he would have had... I mean, it would have made them sick. It goes. It would have taken 20 years for these guys to die. And they were already in their 60s. They would have just been 80 years old, glowing a bit. Everyone's like, you look so healthy. You still have that baby blue glow. They look like Dr. Manhattan. Now, Edward Zabo and Joseph Masculelli both were facing up to one to nine years for their plan in this plot. Because, again, they were just kind of side side associates but history doesn't really say what they got i tried really hard to find out how much time they got we don't really know how much sentencing they got because the media circus was around john ford because of his plan he was facing 25 to 75 years in prison part of it was because he was trying to kill government officials the other part was his method he was trying to use radium, which escalates it to like a terror charge. I think anytime you're trying to attack a government official, it's a terror charge. But I could be wrong on that. But anyways, he was facing the rest of his life in prison. Because at this point, he's in his like 30s, 40s. So 25 is putting him pretty high up there. So he's taken in. And of course, one of the first things they do is they have to find, are you competent to stand trial? Like, if you're a blithering idiot, or if you're just a psycho, like, super psycho, that's an actual medical classification. They're like, I can't treat that guy. He's super psycho. And the doctor's like, oh, guess I can't. They'll deem you unfit for trial. So that's the first thing. The the court has to figure out whether or not you're actually competent to stay in trial. Think about all the people who believe conspiracy theories, all of the bizarre paranormal beliefs that people hold today. Going back to when this article was written in 1998, I just looked it up. This is how people felt about believing in UFOs, believing in rogue CIA operatives running around Long Island because he believed that stuff as well. He believed that AIDS and Ebola were man-made viruses. That's really not that out there nowadays, right? Remember, the name of this article was out there. That stuff is is pretty, pretty well accepted within the conspiracy community. And I'd say even AIDS and Ebola... There's a lot of people who don't believe in a lot of conspiracy theories who believe those could be man-made. This is the quote from the Washington Post regarding his beliefs and his competency to stand trial. Quote, He did not have to lie or exaggerate to the doctors to be found unfit. He simply told them what he believed to be true, which seemed so fantastical that they could only label it delusional behavior. Unquote. Ideas that are considered mainstream now, back then, could get you found incompetent to stand trial. He never stood trial, but he never walked free again. He's still alive today. The latest article I could find on him was June 3rd, 2019. He's still locked in a mental hospital. He's 70 years old now. And the mental hospital, the reason why he was back in the news was because he was held all these years, since 1998, in a secure mental facility. And he finally, in June 2019, was released to a less secure mental hospital. A less restrictive institution is the term that's used. He has never stood trial. He's been locked up in a mental institution. All this time. Now, I'm not saying a man who plotted the murder of three people should just run out willy-nilly, right? But he has done 22 years in a mental hospital already. If he had gone to prison, if he had 
served his sentence, he would have been paroled out by now. He has been held without a trial. And again, I think that he is on record saying he was trying to murder these people. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But I find it fascinating that this man has been locked in a secure mental hospital all this time. His crime was (laughs) a terror threat. It absolutely was. And he deserved to be punished for it. 22 years in a secure mental hospital punished for it? Who knows? You could argue that the mental hospital was by choice. It was safer than prison. Maybe, but not a secure mental hospital. <laughs> I mean, those, those words you don't want to hear together, right? I personally think mental hospitals are far more terrifying than any prison. That's my personal thing. But you have to wonder, after all this time, so many of these ideas have become mainstream. If you believed everything this guy said, everything that I told you, time travel, UFOs crashing, military cover-up, man-made diseases, none of these would be controversial statements nowadays. Get a lot of people to nod their head to one or two of those. And these beliefs used to get people thrown into mental institutions. Again, he was incarcerated. He was put away because of the terror threat. I'm not minimizing that. That was why he popped up on their radar. But the reason why he went to a secure mental facility was because he believed things that you can watch YouTube videos on and people don't even blink an eye. At the most, they might roll their eyes and walk away. That's how far we've come in paranormal and conspiracy culture. used to be simply saying those things would have you deemed incompetent to stand trial. Really incompetent to understand what was going on around you. I was watching a documentary the other day. There was a point in time that Alex Jones was making $100,000 a day. That was at its peak. There's always that story that the people who talk about conspiracy theories openly, like myself, like Alex Jones, like Art Bell, like George Norrie, Mysterious Universe, last podcast on the left, whoever you want to name, David Icke. The reason why we're allowed to talk about these things is because we are so far from the truth that we actually do more damage to the disclosure movement, to the conspiracy movement. That's why we can talk about these things so openly. David Icke has a a program on Amazon. And the reason why we're allowed to do these things is because we're so far from the truth. Stories like John Ford really make you wonder about the opposite. The people who do figure something out do start to piece things together, do start to see the truth behind all of the lies. They get locked up. They get deemed insane for 22 years without a trial. And their legacy in UFOlogy is their story is simply labeled a hoax. And that's it. Not even the Washington Post said the story was a hoax. They just believed it was the ramblings of a madman. A hoax implies maliciousness in the creation of the story. Did John Ford make the story up to get attention to himself? Did he not have enough evidence to truly back up his statements? That's not a hoax, though, right? That's just a guess that's wrong. Or did he discover the truth of time travel, of Brookhaven Laboratory, of the military shooting down UFOs right over Long Island? I don't know the answer to that. But if I did know the answer to that, you might find me locked in a mental hospital. And this 
entire podcast being labeled as nothing but a hoax, an ARG, a LARP, and quickly being forgotten. We are allowed to say what we say because we are not exposing the real truth. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. When's the last time you heard a podcast and they're like, I don't know, I'm, pro- I'm probably just saying stuff that's not true, but but it's it's interesting, right? It's interesting. I know most of you people already clicked off because they started the exit, but yeah, I think when I do conspiracy theories, sometimes I'm actually scared about certain ones I may cover because I've never heard them before. And I go, what if this one's true? What if this is the one that gets the bullet in the back of my head? And then nothing happens. And I go, well, I guess that was also just far off the mark. We're all just searching for the truth, right? The question is, what happens when you find it? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. But I'm so, so glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys. I love you. I will see you soon for the last five episodes of Season 11. Have a great one.